Elsa? Do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. We used to be best buddies, but now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? It doesn't have to be a snowman. Oh, on it. Okay, bye. Frozen, 2013, directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. I have to begin this podcast with a very important question. What happens when a sword meets a knight's sculpture? If you've seen Frozen, you know the answer. But whatever happens to that sword doesn't happen for the reason you think it happens. What and why it happens are not as important as this moment as how Frozen is written, which is what I'm going to be focusing on most of this podcast. The most troublesome thing about Frozen is its plot, which went through several revisions throughout the early 2000s as writers tried to figure out how to make the story work. Frozen's based off of a story by Hans Christian Andersen. And if you read the story, you'll realize why it's so hard to adapt. Disney has tried as far back as 1937 to make a film about the Snow Queen. That's the name of the original story. But nothing worked because the original story is obtuse, meandering, inconsistent, and downright strange. If you want to hear the story, try the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 21. In the credits of the film, it actually says, based off the story, The Snow Queen, by Hans Christian Andersen. But that's the metaphorical equivalent of a waiter saying that the salad you've just eaten was based off of the tons of manure it used to fertilize the lettuce farm it was grown on. Basically, it's all just made up. As such, the film's plot seems like it was cobbled together from bits of the previous script. Then that script was cannibalized for the next draft, and so on and so on, until the directors agreed that what they had was enough to get the project out of development hell. The plot works, it just feels like it's held together by tape and staples. Let me show you what I mean. The plot of Frozen is essentially three acts in a prologue. We get a lot of backstory in the first ten minutes, that's the prologue, but the story doesn't really start until this moment, Elsa's coronation. Elsa is to be crowned the Queen of Arendelle, but she's nervous because she's secluded due to her ice magic powers. She has ice magic powers. All she has to do is get through the coronation and the ball afterwards, and she can go back to her room and be alone. The coronation goes off without a hitch, great for Elsa, but her sister Anna falls in love with a prince named Hans and they get engaged. Worried about the extra attention that the royal wedding would put on her, and also weirded out that Anna got engaged to a guy she just met, Elsa refuses to bless the marriage. There's an argument, and Elsa reveals that she has ice powers to everybody at the ball. She flees to the mountains, and Anna goes after her, leaving Hans in charge. The seclusion of the mountains is where Elsa decides never to go back, and after singing the most awesome song ever, she builds an ice palace where she can be alone. There. Next part. Anna travels up the mountain through the snow, which shouldn't be possible because it's July. She meets an ice seller named Kristoff, his reindeer Sven, and Olaf, a living snow golem created by Elsa, and their adventuring party reaches the top of the mountain. Anna tries to convince Elsa to come back and tells Elsa that she's burying Arendelle in snow. Upset, Elsa accidentally strikes Anna in the heart with her ice powers, Anna flees, but with ice in her heart. Kristoff takes her to trolls who tell her that she needs an act of true love to save her life. Meanwhile, Prince Hans has led a rescue party to find Anna, but finds Elsa instead, capturing her and bringing her back to Arendelle. So far, so good. Kristoff, Sven, and Olaf bring Anna back to Arendelle so Hans can give her a true love's kiss, but when Anna and Hans are alone, Hans reveals that he was only married, wanted to marry her for her kingdom. 
He locks on in a room to freeze to death and sentences Elsa to be executed. But before either of these things can happen, Olaf saves Anna and Elsa breaks out of prison. Kristoff comes back to the kingdom because he left for some reason and is about to kiss Anna and break the spell. But Anna sees Hans about to kill Elsa, so she jumps between them, turning into ice and shattering his sword. More on this later. Everyone's sad, but Anna's sacrificing herself to save Elsa. It's just the kind of true love it takes to unfreeze her heart. Elsa learns that the power of love will help her thaw the snow. Prince Hans gets the boot. Anna and Kristoff become a couple. Everyone lives happily ever after, including the snowman and the reindeer. That's the plot of Frozen in a nutshell. All of this only works, however, with the inclusion of the prologue, because without it, the audience would have a hard time accepting a lot of the plot points that it's presented with. For example... The relationship between Anna and Elsa takes center stage in the film. It's the heart of the film, basically. But prior to the story we've laid out so far, Anna and Elsa spend years separated from each other to keep Elsa from hurting Anna with her ice powers and keep Anna from finding out about Elsa's powers. In order for us to believe that Anna would go after her sister and even give her life for her, we have to be shown that this relationship was worth saving. So what we get is a scene of Anna and Elsa playing, and Elsa uses her ice magic to make an ice rink and snowballs. It takes care of that, but then that creates a new plot hole. In order for the first act to work as written, the whole part that I just described before, Anna can't know that Elsa has powers. Much of the tension in the first act comes from the fact that Elsa has to hide her powers. Anna doesn't understand why Elsa is so reclusive, or why she doesn't talk to her, or why she's against Anna getting married. And that causes an argument. Elsa loses her temper and loses control of her powers. None of that works if Anna understands the reason behind Elsa's actions. So, how do we close that plot hole? In the prologue, we learn, here's a way to cover it, that... Elsa injured Anna with an ice blast, freezing her brain or something. I don't know. They don't really say. And Anna has to get healed by trolls who, and I kid you not, change her memories so that she doesn't remember Elsa has ice powers. It also introduces the trolls, who pop up in the second act again. And we need them in the film to explain why Anna's heart is freezing, since none of the other characters seem capable of understanding magic and things like that. But then we have another problem. Caused by this, caused by the thing that was supposed to solve the other problem. Why did they have to change her memories to heal her brain freeze or whatever the hell happens? It doesn't make sense. The king and queen say it's for the best that Anna forgets, but why? It's never explained. And after that, they decide to keep Elsa's powers hidden by closing the gates to the castle and limiting her contact with people. By the way, the memory erasing plot point never comes up again. Never at any point is it spoken of or even referenced by anybody. Memory erasing is actually one of the few elements of Hans Christian Andersen's story that still survives the adaptation process, but at no point does Anna find out what happened to her or regain her memory. Back to the plot. Elsa's parents decide that isolating her until she learns to control her powers is the best course of action. Whether or not this is a good idea is certainly up for debate. Do you risk hurting innocent people, or do you minimize the possible damage? Do you isolate her and hope that she turns out alright, or do you let her go out among regular people and live a normal life? Elsa's parents may have had several good reasons for choosing to isolate her, but the film never shows us any of them. There's no discussion, because you can't have a discussion. This is the prologue, and if you spend more than 10 minutes setting up the actual story that you want to tell, you're doing something wrong. The plot hole stays in, and we see Anna and Elsa grow up to the second catchiest song in the entire film. Do You Wanna Build a Snowman justifies the prologue with cuteness and devastating heartache, all in one brilliantly directed sequence. 
On a side note, kudos to Disney for avoiding the dead mother cliche. This time they killed both parents in one fell swoop. We can speculate a lot about whether it was right to isolate Elsa, even if it's convenient to the plot. There's a lot of speculation too about whether Hans is a compelling villain, or whether he was a cheap plot twist added just to parody the Prince Charming cliche present in so many Disney films. He does very little throughout the first two acts, and we have very little reason to doubt his intentions up until the moment he reveals himself. It feels like a bait and switch. We've been given two promising candidates for villains already in the film, Elsa and the Duke of Wesselton. We throw them both to the side for a character we barely know. Nonetheless, nothing Hans does throughout the film contradicts the idea that he was just trying to marry his way into the throne. He's constantly focused on Anna as a means to achieve his goals. He seduces her straight off the bat. He proposes marriage at a lightning pace. He objects when she decides to search for Elsa alone, but leads an expedition to find her when Anna's horse returns to Arendelle alone. He ensures that no one kills Elsa at the end of Act 2 because she's the only person who might possibly know where Anna is. It's dumb luck that Anna happens to come back to the castle at that point, but seeing that she'll be dead and with no way to stop her from dying, he leaves her for dead, makes up a story about phony marriage vows, frames Elsa for her death, and orders her execution, which automatically makes him the King of Arendelle in less than four days. By the way, I did keep count. Not counting the prologue and epilogue, the story takes place over the span of four days, during which none of the characters eat or sleep. Kind of a nitpick, but that's what happens when you watch a movie five times in a row. Back to Hans. His motivations for seizing the throne are compelling, or at least in my opinion. I found something quite interesting in him. He's the last of 13 brothers. He has practically no chance of inheriting the throne, barring murder, of course. His brothers treat him the way brothers do. They're dicks. One can imagine a little Prince Hans vowing that someday he'll have his own throne. No one, Hans says, is getting anywhere with marrying Elsa, so Anna is the next logical choice. Going to Arendelle makes perfect sense for Hans. And besides, this way he only has to commit one murder. Two murders tops. This does not, however, make Frozen a brilliant film, because all this information is buried in the text of the narrative. The audience is unlikely to understand Hans's motivations if they weren't paying close attention attention in the first act when he mentions his brothers and even the significance of that line may be lost on an audience member if they aren't even thinking about it it's especially frustrating because we don't see hans as an active antagonist the film is never a situation of of anna against hans or elsa against hans because nothing they do conflicts with each other until the third act frozen thus becomes a rewarding film with repeated viewings like if you're a busy dad or a film critic who has nothing better to do but it takes effort to get those rewards. A character whose actions do not seem to match their writing, however, is Elsa. And now we come to Frozen's indelible stamp on pop culture, the song, Let It Go. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, Looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know 
I love Let It Go. I loved it before I saw the movie, and I sing along with it every time I watch the movie from now on. It's a great song. It's about a woman who finds her freedom after losing everything, turning her back on her home and love, and embracing the power she's kept hidden all her life. It's liberating, it's emotional, it's catchy, and it doesn't fit in the film. The best song in the entire movie doesn't actually represent the character who's singing it. So, I have to explain this by reviewing Elsa's character for a moment. Up until this point, she's been in seclusion because she doesn't want to hurt anybody with her ice powers. Okay, that makes sense. She reveals her powers at the coronation, and then she flees to the mountains because everyone thinks she's a monster. Fine. She gets to the mountains and starts singing one of the best songs in the Disney songbook, and it's about embracing who she is and pushing her powers to the limit. She doesn't want to hide anymore, and she builds a giant ice palace in two minutes. She gets a sexy new ice dress, and she's awesome. Great! She's ready to let loose and do something, right? Right? The next time we see Elsa, she hasn't done anything. Anna shows up, and she's like, come back to Arendelle. And Elsa's like, no, stay away. She's just secluded herself, and she's trying not to hurt anybody. It's consistent with her characterization in the film so far. She's very conscientious of her own power, and she doesn't want to hurt Anna, and she doesn't want to hurt anybody else. The problem is that let it go is all about a shift in her behavior. It's in the title, for God's sake. And after the song like that, we still have Elsa scared that she's going to hurt somebody. She made an ice castle with magic! Let It Go really feels like it's a remnant of an earlier draft of the script where Elsa is the villain. In that sense, it's a perfect song. It could have become the greatest villain song of all time. Instead, it diminishes Elsa. She thinks about being free and powerful, but she never takes advantage of that freedom or power. Thus, a character set up to be active and strong ends up looking reactive and weak. The character of Kristoff is lacking because he basically has no arc. Olaf and Sven, the comic relief, end up somewhere different from where they started. This is the comic relief, and even they have arcs. But Frozen sets off sets up Kristoff to be some sort of loner who doesn't trust people and doesn't and then the film does nothing with it. He and Anna have practically no significant conflict, and at the end Kristoff overcomes nothing in realizing that he loves Anna, galloping to her rescue. That said, Anna and Kristoff are a great couple. They have chemistry and they work well as a team. Their budding romance is actually a great counterpoint to Anna's ill-rushed, ill-conceived engagement to Hans. Sven, the reindeer, is the Chewie to Kristoff's Han Solo. Enough said. Olaf is great comic relief. A character who had such potential to go wrong succeeds brilliantly. Now that we've dug deep into Frozen and picked it apart, we now have to answer the question of how a flawed movie can become so successful. Lots of films cash in on the popularity of a franchise or on nostalgia and they make millions. What did Frozen have going for it that puts it above all the rest? The answer brings us back to that broken sword we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you rationalize it or how you explain it away, but when Hans hits Anna with that sword, Anna should break like ice. She's made of ice. When she didn't, I was convinced that what I saw was a golden moment of surrealism in films. Let me explain. When the surreal happens, it's not normal, but it feels normal. Or perhaps it's better to say it feels right. It's like the weirdness of a dream, where we never question what's going on until we wake up. Hans's sword breaking defied the laws of physics and common sense, but no one raised an objection. Even cinema sins, 
the nitpickiest of the nitpicky didn't bring it up. No one has ever complained about this failure in logic in the shot. And while I thought that at first this was surrealism at work, I realized it was far more. The sword breaks in Frozen because we want it as audience members to break. We want the sword to break because we don't want Anna or Elsa to die. We want it to break because Hans was playing us just like he played Anna. We want it to break because we've just sat through an hour and a half of clever writing, likable characters, comic relief that was actually funny, six catchy and emotional songs, and a plot that inverts the cliches and expectations of animated fairy tales. Frozen builds up so much goodwill that not only do we ignore the glaring lapse of logic at its climax, but we overlook most of the flaws that came before that. Yes, Frozen barely holds together, but it holds together, and the performances are brilliant. Frozen succeeds bar far beyond any film of its pedigree should expect to succeed. It's not perfect, but perhaps the lesson isn't to strive towards perfection. Perhaps parts can outshine the whole. At least then, people won't be looking at the cracks. Elsa? Please, I know you're in there. People are asking where you've been. They say of courage, and I'm trying to. I'm right out here for you. Just let me in. We only have each other. It's just you and me. What are we gonna do? Do you want to build a snowman? 